All right, so Elijah goes from the height of victory at Mount Carmel into spiraling into a deep and dark depression. We see that this was a a little bit of a prolonged period of time. The depression and the despair came quickly. But even after he was fed and had food and drink, he still hides for 40 days. He goes 40 days further into the wilderness. And God eventually approaches him in this cave and has this conversation. First thing I want us to think about this morning is just the reality that this is one of the greatest prophets of all time. Elijah was revered, still is, by all that have ever studied Old Testament history. His miracles were amazing. His ministry and his message were powerful. And this is a man that still found himself sinking into despair. The Bible records for us the truth about our heroes. And that even great men and women of God can deal with and battle discouragement and depression. King David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. King David repeatedly spoke of his battles with discouragement. It was David who wrote in 43.5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 43, 5. David repeatedly expresses similar feelings in most of his writings in the Psalms. And I would say this this morning, guys, if David and Elijah could could and did deal with discouragement and despair, what makes any of us think that we're going to be exempt? If even the great heroes of our faith Battled times, I mean, we, we read it. Elijah's like, Elijah prayed to God that God would kill him. That's a pretty, would you just agree that's a pretty open and raw prayer? Like, he prayed. He didn't just say he wanted to die. It's one thing to say he wanted to die. That's another thing to tell God about it and ask God himself to do it. Oh, Lord, take my life from me. This is what Elijah says to God. And there's a lesson here for us that, hey, first of all, anybody, no matter who you are, man or woman, doesn't matter if you're the king of Israel or the prophet of Israel or who you are, anybody and all of us are susceptible to dealing with discouragement, despair, and depression. And I think one of the applications this morning is that we need to have a sense of compassion for those that are going through discouragement, for those that are going through despair. We need to have a sense of patience with these people, and we need to care enough to come around them and help them in their time of need. I want us to study how God handles people in this situation. I want us to look at the reality, and thank God for it, David and Elijah made it out, folks. They did not live here and stay here permanently. They made it out. And when you study the life of David, sometimes he went back down in, and then God brought him back out, and then sometimes he went back down in, and God brought him back out. 
But the reality is he did not stay there. He did not live there. God is this delivering God who does not want us to live in despair and to live in defeat. And so what is the pathway out? We see that God feeds Elijah. He gives him rest and sleep, but he does not leave him there. God eventually shows up, has this conversation with Elijah where he's like, what are you doing here, man? And he forces Elijah to engage his mind and to think about some things like, how did he get there? And probably more importantly, how does he get out? It's an important question. How did Elijah get there and how can we not? Or if you happen to be there this morning, is there a way out? Thank God the answer is yes. There's a pathway out and this morning I want us to look at the path together. I'm going to look at this from the angle of three musts that we have to do if we're going to overcome discouragement. You must do these three things. They're not optional. You have to make these things happen if you're going to overcome discouragement. The first thing this morning is you must force yourself to recharge. You must force yourself to recharge. Before we look at how God recharges Elijah, I want us to consider the reality that Elijah was exhausted. Elijah was a man just like you and I. Could you imagine what the previous week of his life looked like? We know what it's like. Not, I mean, we, none of us can say, well, we know exactly what it was like to be Elijah. I mean, none of us have ever faced down 850 demonic false prophets all on our own and called fire down from heaven. But to a degree, we do know what it's like to feel like, you know, at times we're the only one that's standing up for Jesus. We're the only one that, 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 is, that is fighting for what is right. We're the only one that's trying to stop this wickedness in this world, and the whole world is against us. Well, imagine the scale that Elijah was feeling. Israel had turned wicked. It was led by wicked rulers that had these demonic false prophets eating at their tables in the king's palaces. And Elijah does have to show up to Mount Carmel alone. He's, this is emotionally exhausting. What type of spiritual faith does it take to show up and say, look, Me versus you, 850. I don't care if it's just me or not, because me and God is a majority, and my God is the true God of heaven and earth, and I am ready for this showdown. And what type of faith does it take to go all the way up that mountain, meet those people there, and call down fire like Elijah called down fire? It's a faith that I must confess I probably have never touched yet. And then think about the physical exhaustion. I mean, physically, whatever it took to kill off those 850 prophets, however that worked, whatever that did, that was a long day. And we see all of a sudden, Elijah is not ready for the next battle that comes. And there's a great lesson here, folks, and that is that we are susceptible to the enemy's attacks especially when we are exhausted. You'll find that when you are really exhausted, 
you tend to make poor decisions. You tend to do things you wouldn't normally do. The enemy knows to attack when we're exhausted. In fact, for many, many years, uh, one of the tactics in war to get enemies that had been uh, taken prisoner to speak was this tactic of exhaustion, uh, sleep deprivation. They would take prisoners that they thought had information and they wanted information from these prisoners and they, they could put them in like, like a jail cell of some sort, a room they couldn't get out of with super, super, super bright lights, hot, white, bright lights, made it impossible to sleep. And often after 48, 72 hours of that type of exhaustion, people would begin to talk. It was considered for years this great method to interrogate people because it was like, well, you're not physically harming them. You're not, you know, it's not like you're taking anything physically to their body. Uh, You're not starving them. It's just they don't get to sleep. It's not a very much used tactic anymore. You know why? They found that the things people would say and believe after 48 to 72 hours were often delusional. That after 48 to 72 hours, sometimes you start seeing things and believing things that aren't even true. That whatever would come out in confession couldn't necessarily be trusted. It may or may not be true at all. The person might even believe it's true and it's not true. Something happens when we become so exhausted that we actually start believing things that aren't even real. How true is this emotionally and spiritually when we get in that place of despair and we're exhausted? A lot of times you can't trust what you think and what you believe when you're super exhausted because most of the time it's wrong in one way or another. So the enemy knows this and he wants to get us to where we're exhausted and, and, he, and then in that place of exhaustion, he wants to pile it on in hopes that we cave. And so we have to learn how to recharge if we're ever going to come out of this despair and depression. Look what God does with uh, Elijah in verses 5 through 7. He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Notice the very first thing that God does with Elijah is get him some sleep. Elijah prays, and I find this interesting because God does have a conversation with Elijah. Elijah prays and says, I want to die. Lord, would you kill me? Notice God doesn't even respond to that. I'm going to deal with God's kindness and compassion to Elijah in a moment in, in the way they speak. But isn't it interesting? God doesn't even respond to that. It's almost like God's like, no, you don't need to die. You just need a nap. You need some snacks. And then, read a text. Read it. The, whole, the, the angel wakes him up, feeds him, gives him something to drink, and he takes another nap. And then he gets woken up a second time and gets more snacks and more water. Listen to me. God knows what God's doing. And the reality is that Elijah needed some rest before he was ever in a position to have a conversation to start with. 
God's going to have a conversation with him, but it's not going to be until first there's some recharging that takes place in Elijah's life. And there's a really important lesson here for us, folks. We must learn how to recharge. You're going to find that if you are constantly pouring yourself out and you're not ever putting anything in, that you get exhausted, that you grow weak, and that you start making poor choices and you begin to sink into despair and discouragement. You must learn how to recharge. Now, Elijah had to recharge physically with actual physical sleep and food and water. This tells us exactly how physically destroyed he was, how tired he was. But I'm going to submit to you that there are some disciplines all of us have to have in our life if we're going to stay charged up. And one of those is learning to honor the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a very important biblical principle. It's a day of rest. It's important to understand that the Sabbath is not a day of worship. Never does the Bible teach that the Sabbath is a day of worship. Worship happens on the Sabbath. It is part of the Sabbath. But the purpose of the Sabbath has always been rest. The Bible's made that very clear. God rested on the seventh day and therefore made it holy. And because God rested on the seventh day, we are to rest on one day of week. One of the seven days we need to take Sabbath. There needs to be a day where it's intentional about taking a break. If you think that the Sabbath simply means that you go to church for an hour and a half, and you've kept the Sabbath, you're just wrong. If, you, if, if your worship and, and the way you handle your Sabbath day is you show up here, and then as soon as that clock hits noon and we dismiss, you hit the ground running, and you've got thing to do after thing to do after thing to do. Listen, you are not honoring and keeping the Sabbath. You've got to learn to slow it down and rest. We need it. And if you don't learn to be intentional about rest and refueling, you're eventually going to run out of energy. You're going to run out of fuel, and you're going to crash. Now, in addition to this, what I might call big day of the week, we also have to learn periodically throughout our days to do the things that recharge us. And you've got to learn for your own life, like what recharges you. So, you may know this if you've been here any length of time, a year or more. You may know this about me, but if not, let me share with you that there was a six to seven year period of my life where I battled depression bad. And the last two years of that, it was really bad. I'm talking blacking out for hours during the day, uh, not having a consciousness of what happened at certain parts of the day. I mean, I, the, it could be 6 o'clock at night, and I would have no understanding what I did from noon to 3. I'm talking getting lost, driving around in my truck, disassociating, which is what was happening and why there was no consciousness of what was happening during that period of time. I'm talking depression to the degree that it impacted me physically, 
emotionally. It impacted my home. It was bad. And so I have some real experience with what I'm talking to you about this morning. And one of the very first things I had to learn was this biblical principle that I have got to recharge. I was just going all the time. I mean, I was going from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed, and even then, laying in bed with my mind still going about what I need to do tomorrow. It was just constant, and, 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 I, and I was constantly pouring myself out, but I wasn't really doing anything to recharge. And I had to learn, like, some of the things that recharge me, and I had to get disciplined because it is a must. You must force yourself to recharge. Some of the things that recharge me, just some practical stuff this morning to kind of get you thinking about practically what might recharge you. For me, one of the things that recharges me uh, is quiet time. I like being away from the noise of everything, and sometimes I have to take a walk to force that to happen. Try to sit in my house and be quiet, my mind's going all over the place. But if I take a walk, sometimes getting out in nature just helps me 15 to 30 minutes, sometimes a little bit more. That's one of the things that helps me start to recharge a little bit where I can just get away I'm not even necessarily always speaking to God, but I'm meditating on God's Word. I'm, I, it's just like this intentional walk with the Lord. Uh, one of the things that recharges me is time with my wife. My wife is fun to be around. She's, uh, she's, she's good at making light of everything that we go through. Uh, she's just a fun person, and for me, when I can have time with just her, it's one of the things that recharges me. Reading is one of the things that recharges me. And it doesn't always have to be the Bible. The Bible is my favorite thing to read. But it, I just like to read books. Sometimes it's even articles. I mean, I'll, sometimes I'll read stupid stuff, just news about how a thing was built. Like it has no, it doesn't even have any impact on my life. But the practice of reading and learning something new helps me disengage from everything else going on in my life, and it sort of recharges me. Um, way back then, when I was trying to learn and get disciplined about the things that recharged me, one of the things that used to recharge me was golf. But now golf just makes me mad. <laughs> it does not work anymore. Things change in your life. You've got to learn what works and what doesn't. It doesn't work for me any longer. It just makes it worse. You've got to figure out what it is for you. It might be exercise. It might be fishing. Um, the point is this. We must learn how to recharge. And we must be disciplined. Because if you are doing nothing but constantly pouring yourself out, you're going to eventually run on empty long enough that one of these days you're going to be stranded on the side of the road and it's going to, it's going to impact you and it's going to impact people in your life. Elijah was exhausted, and he needed to recharge. You must force yourself to recharge. Number two, if you're going to come up out of despair and discouragement, you must choose carefully the voices you listen to. Look where it really all went wrong, again, in verses 1 through 3. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. So if you've read the Bible, here's what we know. Jezebel knew nothing, and she wasn't going to lay a finger on Elijah. God was God. God was in control. But Elijah heard this threat, let it kind of get in his mind, in his heart, and all of a sudden he was fearful. I mean, here's a guy who less than a few days later, or, or a few days earlier, he's like, I don't care who's there or not. Bring everybody. Bring all 850 of your prophets. Me and God are going to take you all down. He knew the dangers then. He knew he was standing up against then. Nothing's changed, but he's got exhausted, and now he started listening to the wrong voices. And you'll find that when you're exhausted, you start listening to the wrong voices. You start thinking things you would never think. You start thinking, well, it's never going to work. It's, you know, I, I, why even try, which is kind of where Elijah got. Why not just give up? It's too hard. You have to be cautious the voices you're listening to. You need to understand that God's voice will always lead you to Him. God's voice will always call you towards Him. And ultimately, the good shepherd leads us to still waters. Our enemy's voice leads us away from God and from God's people. The enemy's voice leads us to despair and worry. And you've got to learn to take your thoughts captive. You have to choose carefully what voices you listen to. You will find that the, the, the discipline of taking your thoughts captive, a big part of that is being disciplined and what voices you listen to in the first place. Your enemy wants to isolate you from God. He wants to get you off all alone. Start making you think you're the only person in the world who's ever dealt with what you're battling. That nobody can help. Nobody can understand. You're the only one who's ever been that way. That's how Elijah started thinking. It's what he said in First uh, Kings 19.14, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, and I, even I, only am left. Elijah's feeling that way. I'm the only one. There's nobody but me. Nobody serves God but me. Nobody's done what I've done. Nobody's suffering like I'm suffering. I, nobody knows. And, and, and he's isolated off in his little cave. It's right where the enemy wants him. But notice that God corrects Elijah. I wanted to read through verse 18 because there's an interesting piece there that God just leaves with us. He says there are 7,000 that have not put the knee down to Baal in the land. The land is about the size of Kansas. God says, Elijah, uh, not only are you not alone, not only are you not the only one, there's actually 7,000 others. But we get that way. We start thinking, oh, nobody's ever been through what I've been through. Nobody's ever felt what I've felt. Nobody's ever experienced what I've experienced. It's just not true, folks. Maybe nobody's ever been through exactly what you've been through, but we've all been through trauma. We've all been through hurt. We've all know what it's like to feel like we're alone. We've all been through difficult experiences that didn't make sense. We've all been through times in our life where we're like, God, why would you allow this? Why is this going on? In one way or another... There are people of, in God's house that can relate to you. 
And one of the important things is learning to listen to the right voices when you're going through discouragement. Often, when we're in that place of discouragement, we don't want to hear the right voices because we want to have our little pity party. We don't want somebody to tell us, hey, listen, really, you just need to, 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 to get out of your pity party. But there's nothing we need more than that. We need people at times that can speak encouragement to us, that can love us when we seem unlovable, and that are willing to say the hard things when we need to hear the hard things. How many of you know Jason Bruns, Pastor Jason Bruns? He's going to laugh that I told this this morning. Jason's a friend of mine. About 12 years ago, I was in a fight with Andrea, and uh, we were arguing about something, and it got really kind of heated. It was one of our three worst fights in 23 years of marriage, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine, and I love him, and I trust him, so I called him. I told him all the details, you know, so he would be on my side. And I told him all the details of this argument, and I'm like, dude, I'm so stinking mad right now. I don't even want to be in the room with her. And I'm like, so I need some instructions. I need to know what to do. He says, he says okay. And he laughed a little bit because he knows me and her don't normally fight that way. It was a big deal for me to call and have to talk to him. He laughed a little bit and he said, all right, so you need some instructions? I said, yeah, right now I'm so stinking mad. I just need some instructions to follow. I can follow instructions. He said, here you go. You need to quit acting like a baby and get back in there and love your wife. That was his exact words. I mean, that's... Those were his, his exact words, and I quote, you need to stop being a baby and get back in there and love your wife. That was the hard thing I needed to hear at the time. I was discouraged. I was upset, but you know what? That's what I actually needed to hear at that moment, and what I'm trying to tell you is you've got to learn to listen to the right voices, and, and in that moment in my life, I knew that was the right voice. I knew that he would tell me the truth. I wasn't expecting that. But it was the truth. It was, this is what I needed. If you're in a place of despair and discouragement, you have got to be very cautious what voices you listen to. There's a lot of wisdom, especially if you're dealing with discouragement and despair, getting out of the news. Stop. It's so negative. It's so, it's so, it's so sad. It's all bad. I mean, and even if there's good out there, they don't report on it because we don't want to read the good news. We doom scroll. We look for the worst headline, and they're like, that one. You got to be cautious what's going in here, what's going in here. You got to be cautious what voices you're listening to. And in times of discouragement, you need the right people speaking into your life. Finally, this morning, the third must, if you're going to come out of despair, you must trust the Word of God above all else. So God speaks to Elijah. I mean, he gives Elijah a word. God comes to Elijah in Elijah's time of despair. Before we even look at what God tells Elijah to do, can we just take a moment to appreciate and even worship God for the fact he comes to us in our time of despair? I mean, God has sent fire from heaven, and he has shown Elijah that he's on Elijah's side, and Elijah's response is, oh, woe is me, would you please kill me? If God was like us, 
God would sit up there on his throne with his arms crossed and say, well, you know where I'm at, boy. Instead, in Elijah's time of real discouragement and despair, right or wrong, the guy's thinking about killing himself. He's hiding in a cave, and what does God do? He says, I'm coming right to where you are. I cannot tell you how awesome our God is. And I can't tell you how kind and compassionate He is with us, and how patient He is with us. You remember when Peter denied the Lord three times? We see Jesus do the exact same thing with Peter. He goes to where Peter is. He talks to Peter, and he talks pretty softly with Peter. He doesn't shame him for what he's done. He doesn't say, Peter, why would you do something so terrible? He just says, Peter, do you love me? Peter has a hard time answering that. Peter says, I do. You know what Jesus says? Feed my sheep. He asks the same question three times and answers the same way three times. Just this soft, take care of my church. And it's interesting that when God approaches Elijah, God just gives him a simple word. He doesn't shame him for where he's at. He asks a question to get his mind thinking. It's not a condescending question. It's an important question. Why are you here? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? It's not meant to hurt him. It's not meant to wound him. It's not meant to shame him. God never tries to shame us. God never shames us. It's a question that sometimes we just need to get our mind and our heart honest about. Well, how did I get here? Oh, I know, I got exhausted and I forgot to recharge. And then I started listening to old Jezebel. And then I just despaired and ran for my life. I was a little extreme. But that's how I got here. And then God doesn't even address that. And he simply gives him instructions. This is the thing that's so awesome about God. God tells Elijah, the first word, the first instruction from God is once he hears Elijah, Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me. I've been so faithful to you, God, and here I am all alone. God does not even respond to that. He just says, Elijah, go. I got work for you to do. Isn't that awesome? Peter's in his despair, and Jesus just says, feed my sheep. Something I want us to note, something of great importance here, is that when God does speak to us, especially in our time of despair, God rarely gives us this great big answer to all of our questions. There's a lot of questions that God does not answer. He doesn't speak to a lot. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Would you agree? That what Jesus was telling Peter to do was pretty immense. I mean, it was ginormous. Feed my sheep. I mean, in other words, I want you to pasture this flock that's about to explode. And I still want you to lead this church that I have birthed. That's a big thing. But the only instruction is feed them. 
Think about all the questions Peter had. I mean, if I was Peter, I would sincerely have some questions. How will anybody ever trust me after what I've done? The disciples, like, they know that I denied you three times. How could I ever be a leader again? These are questions I would have. Jesus doesn't even address them. He just says, this is my call on your life, and this is what I want you to do. And here's the important lesson for us, folks. When you're in that place of depression and despair, you do not need to know all the answers. But what you do need is a simple word from God that gives you some direction on what you need to do next. The Bible teaches us that the word of God is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. God will show you what you need to do next. And you're just going to have to obey. God said go, okay, then I go. And as you go and you do what God's told you to do, then there's more light and there's more light and there's more light. There's a lot of questions God's not going to answer. There's a lot of what ifs and what if this and what if that and what happens here. And God's like, I'm not even going to talk about any of that. But what I am going to tell you is here's what you need to do. And I have found in my life that when I have battled discouragement and despair, when I've been in situations that maybe it wasn't even quite to the, the degree where I was discouraged yet, but, you know, wondering what's going to come of this, what I've learned is that God almost never gives me the whole answer, but it's just a simple word that I need to know, and that's enough for me, and I'm just going to trust God with what I know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that, and God always takes care of the rest. When you feel like you can't go on one more day, you're about to collapse, Remember that God said in Deuteronomy 33 and 25 that as your days are, so shall your strength be. God's promise, He's going to give you the strength you need for the day that is at hand. When you feel like, I want to be a Christian and I want to do what God's called me to do, but I don't have the power to live a godly life. You remember 2 Peter 1, 3 that says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you remind yourself that God has said everything you need to do what He's called you to do, He will provide for you. When you feel like you've gone too far or you have fallen too far for God to love you, remember to be sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you feel like your weaknesses disqualify you from being used by God, remind yourself that God has said in 1 Corinthians 1.27 that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. When it feels like you are surrounded by your enemies and the enemy is closing in, you remember Psalm 23, 5, which promises you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When you feel like you're all alone, remember Deuteronomy 31, 6, which says, Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God who goes with you, He will not leave you or forsake you. When you feel like the battle at hand is too much for you to fight. Remember about the word of God in Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and put on the whole 
armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And Romans 8.37 which says, No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that often a simple word from God will do more for you in your time of despair than anything else in this world. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to know every verse. But you need to know something that God has spoken to the situation you're in. You've got to learn to trust God with what He has said above all else. Meditate on it. Think on it. Believe it and obey it. I ask you this morning, what keeps you from hearing that still small voice? What keeps you from allowing God to call you out of that cave of despair? God says the same thing to us that he said to Elijah. What are you doing here? Come out of that cave, son. Come out of that cave, daughter. That is not where you were meant to live. God says you are his child. And that his sons and daughters are more than conquerors. God will probably say something very similar to you that he said to Elijah, that he said to Peter. Go and get to work. God gives directions. It's our job to simply trust and obey. I want to conclude this morning where I started. And that is with the reality that all of us will battle discouragement and depression at one point or another. All of us will go through times and seasons in life where we're just exhausted and we feel like we can't go any further. If you want to make it through those times and if you're there today, you're going to make it out. How long you're there and how quickly you come out depend upon how well you do these three musts. You must force yourself to recharge. You must choose carefully the voices you listen to and you must choose to trust the Word of God above all else. Father, this morning, we are so grateful that you come to us in our time of despair. I think probably most of us in one way or another can relate to being in that cave. We ran away from all of our friends and family and the rest of the world, church, you. We're just kind of upset, angry, mad, hiding from it all. And Lord, how awesome is it you come to us tenderly, lovingly, you speak, you call us out.